So today, by the grace of God, we are going to move on to the second uh, or the continuation of this marriage study, the study of marriage and family. And we're going to talk about something uh, different today. I want to continue, but the first thing I want to talk about in continuation from last week is the stages of a marital relationship. And like I said to you last week, we are teaching these things for some of us who are already married so we can have the knowledge in order to guide especially our children to have a proper notion and understanding of what marriage is all about. Because if we as parents don't understand what marriage is about, then we are going to lead our children into marital institutions that is not founded on God's principles, and it will lead to catastrophe. So we need to understand the stages of a marital relationship, what it means to get married, what does it take to get married. Because today we find kids who find a man. Maybe your, your child goes to university in New Hampshire, and one day she calls and says, hey, mom, I just want to let you know I'm getting married. And you've never met the guy. You've never met the, the girl. And you're so happy. Well, I'm so happy for you. This happens when people don't understand how marriage is supposed to be. And you have parents encouraging such uh, stupidity because they do not understand what the Bible stipulates when it comes to marital relationships. So as I make a research, I found out that there are five stages, five stages to a marital relationship, taking a contemporary culture in context. There are five stages. The first stage is friendship. Friendship. Friendship is you have to get to know somebody. And when you are friends with somebody, you have friends without any intention. You just get to know somebody. It can be a co-worker. It can be a classmate. It can be a colleague. It can be a neighbor. It can be a friend. It can be anybody. You just get to know them. It is said that people who get married as friends have a higher chance of surviving difficulties in the marriage. Because some of us have friends that have uh, been in our lives for over 20 years. And what keeps us going is that we have a bond. We've come a long way. We can argue. We can fight. We can disagree but we stay friends. But when you get married and the person you're married to is not your friend, then you become, uh, you don't have grace. You, ease, you can easily walk, just like meeting a stranger. For example, if, I'm, if I go to Walmart now and I meet a stranger on Walmart, we argue. I don't have to stay and argue with the person. I just walk away. But if he was a friend, I understand that if I walk away, I'm still going to see him or her tomorrow. So I have to find a way to resolve that conflict because if I don't resolve it, I may meet the same person in church. We may meet in the same. We may meet at work tomorrow because he's your friend. So, like I said, it's said that when people get married to their friend, there are high chances of surviving tensions when marital conflicts arises. So the first stage is friendship. This is where you get to know somebody. You're just friends. Not boyfriend, girlfriend, because in this culture, once somebody says, this is my boyfriend, girlfriend, for the most part, they're already having sexual relationships. This is not what we're talking about. Somebody is just your friend. Like I said, it could be a co-worker, it could be a classmate, it could be a neighbor, it could be somebody you just know from a, from a, somebody introduced you to them, you've met them somewhere, and you're just friends. And once you're friends with somebody, 
you've known them. You know where they live. You know, you know their temperaments. You know their character. You know their behavior. You know the church they attend. You've studied their family. You know you've know everything you need to know about them. Like somebody will know the friend. The second stage is dating. Is dating. In my local uh, definition, I would define dating as the opportunity that you have to interview your future spouse if they qualify for the job. The opportunity that you have or moment that you interview somebody if they are suitable to be your future spouse. So on during dating, as the word date itself says, you go out on dates. You go out on dates. This is not the time for romantic relationship where you guys are walking in the park holding hands and you're introducing them to everybody. This is my day. You're taking them to every baby shower, to every wedding. You know, this is the time where you're hanging out and you're getting to ask questions. You've, you've known this person as a friend, but now you're asking specific questions. Do you want to have kids? What is your goal in 10 years? Where do you want to settle? Do you like to travel? You know, you're, like I said, you're interviewing your future spouse to see if they meet the requirement for the person that you're looking for. Maybe you don't want more than two kids. That is when you find out. Find out. Maybe you don't want to retire in Virginia. That is when you find out. During dating, that's when you ask all those questions. You ask deep questions about their family, their background, their philosophy. You know, what do you think about this? You ask all those questions you need to know because sometimes people jump these stages and they start finding out things they should have known during their marriage, during dating in marriage. And now you can make a decision to change your mind because it's too late. But these are things that if you knew, maybe it would have changed your decision whether to marry that person or not. If you knew that this person didn't want kids, we have uh, programs where we watch where two people are married and they have to divorce because the guy says, I don't want kids. And the lady wants kids so bad. And they have to break up. The reason why they got to this stage was because during their dating process, they were not busy, like I said, asking the right questions. They were busy having romantic affections. You know, sleeping here and there, going out and kissing and doing stuff. They think that's dating. Dating is when you take time to interview the person. For most of my uh, spiritual children or single sisters or brothers who are looking for a spouse, I usually have a template of more than, I would say, 50 questions that I give to them. I say, every time you go out on a date, pick some of these questions and ask the person. That's how you get to know them deep. You get to know what they believe. You get to know their philosophy. You get to know their spiritual standing on many things. You get married to somebody who don't believe in giving offerings to church, but they are Christians. And then tomorrow when you, maybe God blesses you, you say, I want to go give thanksgiving in church, it's a problem. But these are things you should have known, that this person is handsome, he's cool, but when it comes to offering, he doesn't like giving offerings, so we can't, we can't be together. This person, he likes going to church, but when it comes to fasting, he's against fasting. Those decisions will inform you. I mean, those, that knowledge will, will give you the, 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 the foundation to make good decisions whether to marry that person or not. That's what dating is all about. You, you go out on multiple dates to interview your future spouse to see if they meet, 
if they are if you are compatible, if they are a person that you mm-hmm. think you can spend your life with them. Then from after dating, when you have interviewed the person, just like when we interview a person for the job, we find out that this person is qualified. There is a time when you 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 come to a company and they'll call you. You are now on probation on OJT on the job training. You go to the second stage, third stage, which is engagement. As a man, this is when you propose to the woman and ask the woman officially, will you marry me? You've been friends, you've dated, you know everything about her, and you're comfortable to say, will you marry me? This is the stage where you introduce the girl, when you are sure that this is the person you want to marry. This is when you introduce the girl or the man to your family. Because sometimes you are dating somebody. You are not sure if you're going to marry this person. You are still getting to know them. In every family reunion, you take them. Yeah, and see, this is my, I'm dating this, I'm dating this guy. And then that one doesn't work. In the next family reunion, you show up again, oh, this is Joe. I've been dating him for three months. They say, oh, Joe, it's nice to meet you. In the next meeting, you show up again, oh, this is a Bill. Me and Bill have been together for five months. Before you know it, every reunion you're showing up with somebody else. During the dating period, like I said, when you're interviewing somebody for a job, you don't give them the company property. You don't, you don't introduce them to the company system until they are hired for the job, until you are sure that they are qualified to do the job that you want them to do. So it is when you, they are ready, you are ready to ask the question. Or the man is ready to answer the question that you introduce the man to your family. And then in a, like in the culture, the man will usually ask the permission of the father to marry the daughter. If the father says yes, then you go ahead and propose, and then they are officially engaged. During the engagement stage, this is the time when you are planning for the marriage, not the wedding. Pay attention to this. This is the time where you are planning for the marriage, not the wedding. Because a lot of people spend time preparing for the wedding and not the marriage. A lot of people, including many of us, we are walking up and down, raising money. You know, we are preparing the hall, preparing invitations, thinking about what we're going to wear on that day, the food. But we don't think about attending classes, getting counseling, getting the tools that will help us survive marital difficulties, marital tensions. So during courtship is when you are going for classes, if you need to do pre-marital counseling to understand things to do in marriage, you know, what will happen if a child comes and all that stuff. That gives you a foundation that leads to a lasting marriage. Mm-hmm. But what we do most, for the most part during dating is that we start inviting, informing uncles because we are depending, we are counting on their support. Or oh, the wedding will be on December, so it's going to be in Miami. We are hoping that you can support us and you are visiting place to place, make, lobbying people and campaigning for resources for one day, forgetting about the lifetime of that relationship. So courtship is the time to prepare for the marriage, not the wedding. Not the wedding. So after the courtship is the marriage itself. The marriage itself. I must say this to you that, biblically speaking, marriage was the day where the dowry was paid and blessings were pronounced on the couple. Marriage was the day where the dowry of the lady was paid 
and blessings were pronounced on the couple. So looking at uh, our contemporary uh, marriage uh, culture where two people can just decide. You, know, you meet a girl in Ohio, you guys are in love, you go down to the courthouse and you sign some people and say, we are married. Like I said last week, biblically speaking, if God is not introduced in that relationship, biblically speaking, that's not, that's not marriage. If God is not introduced in that marriage, it's not a marriage. You guys are just together. Because for it to be a covenant, like I said, it has to be a couple and God. That makes it a covenant. And if God is not involved, it's just a contract, which can be ripped up by any lawyer, by any judge. It's not a marriage. So this is when the marriage happens. Depending on the culture where you are, the ceremonies are, are done, the families officially hand over their daughter to the man, and the family of the man officially receives the daughter into the family. Like I said, blessings are pronounced, and for the most part, a priest is invited who on God's behalf is a witness, who stands on God's behalf to pronounce God's blessings upon that relationship. When that is done, officially, the marriage has happened. Then the, the, the last part is what we call the wedding. The wedding is the last part where we wear the white gown, we walk down the aisle, depending on the culture where we've come from. But what is recognized in the scripture is marriage. The marital ceremony are not wedding. Because all these white gowns that we wear, black suit or gray suit or whatever we wear, is nowhere in the Bible. And you have people that would postpone their marriage because they are hoping to wear that white gown. Sometimes people are even not married because they don't have money to do all the rituals that is required for a wedding. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, biblically speaking, like I said, what makes a marriage a marriage is when the two families have come together and consented for the son and the daughter to come together and the the dowry is paid and blessings are pronounced upon the couple and there is a witness there on God's behalf who is a priest who pronounces blessings, that marriage is entered into before God. So you must understand that all this, uh, there is no biblical mandate for brides to wear wedding gowns or for grooms to wear suits. If you're an African, you can get married in your African traditional attire. And that's, when, that's marriage. But sometimes we think if I don't walk down the aisle with that gown, for some people that's a dream that if they don't fulfill that dream, it's like the world is coming to an end. And so we have all these things we've adopted that is creating stress and tension. You find people who are not married and they're saving money. They have all that it could have required to go do the, the rights that is required for a marriage to take place. But because they want the wedding, they want to wear the white gown. They want to wear the tuxedo. They want to rent an expensive hall. They want to have 15 bridesmaids, 15 groommen, and invite 1,000 people to in a luxury hotel and all these things. They put strain on their relationship. And sometimes they will spend thousands of dollars on that one day. And then the next day, they're using their credit card because they were preparing for the wedding and not the marriage. Preparing for the wedding and not the marriage. Like I said, a couple were not considered married until the bride price was paid. You remember when uh, 
Jacob went to work for the uncle Laban. Laban promised Jacob, if you work with me seven years, I will give you Rachel for marriage. On the day that Jacob was supposed to get married to Rachel, he was deceived and they gave him Leah. After he got up in the, in the morning and found out that it was Leah and not Rachel, the father-in-law said, you have to work another seven years in order to get Rachel because in this culture, younger sisters don't get married before the elder sisters. If it was today, uh, Laban could have said, okay, you can take Rachel too. Just keep working for seven years. Then when it's seven years, we'll consider that you've, you've paid uh, the dowry or the bride price. But you understand that the bride price was what made a marriage. Until it was paid, there was no wedding. That was why even though he, Jacob was living in the same house with the woman he loved, he could not dare do anything with Rachel because the bride price was not paid. So there are people who say, let's live together. Let's study each other. You know, let's, uh, things are difficult. Let's live together first and save money. Then we'll get married. You guys are living in sin, in fornication. Consenting to live with somebody does not make it legal or right in the eyes of God. A man who is not officially married to a woman, it doesn't matter if the two families are involved, if they have any kind of sexual connection, is called fornication. Until the marital rites are performed and God is a witness and a blessing is pronounced upon that uh, marriage. All these ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of money and traditions around wedding today are not anywhere in the scriptures. Where people, people go into debt, people go into credit card debt, some people even sell things in order just to have that one day event. It becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. Now let's talk about the value of marriage. Marriage is the most respectable and a divine institution that God ever created. Marriage is the most important institution. And marriage is a type of relationship between Christ and the church. When we say type, uh, type is, is, is the word taken from typology. And typology is a, a, a shadow of something. A shadow of something. For example, when you're walking, you see your shadow. That shadow is not you, but that shadow indicates that you are present. So marriage points to something greater than the marriage itself. And in this case, marriage is a, is a shadow of the relationship between Christ and the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, the Apostle Paul says, This is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. He said marriage is a great mystery. In other words, marriage is bigger, is more complicated than just a man and a woman living together. There is something much more spiritual involved than just two people living together because it's a foreshadow, it's a shadow of the relationship that Christ has with the church. And that is why when you go to Ephesians chapter 5 that we just read, it says, husband, love your, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And give himself for the church. And then he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. 
you would see that everything is compared to Christ and the church, the Lord and the church. Because it's more deep than just living with somebody. It's more complicated, it's more mysterious than just living with somebody. So anytime you think of marriage, think of the replica of Christ's relationship to the church. Christ's relationship to the church. What will Christ do to the church? How will Christ act towards the church? And once you have that understanding, it will shape how you understand the concept of marriage. Like I said, marriage is very serious institution. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, it says you ask why it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she's your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now this scripture is powerful because it says God was a witness at your wedding. God was a witness at your wedding. Now if God was a witness, you know that when you have a contract, and that contract is ratified by witnesses, for that contract to be dissolved, the witnesses that were present at the time where the contract was established have to be present in order for that contract to be dissolved. So if God was a witness at your wedding, that will shape your understanding of how serious, of how potent the marriage contract is or the marriage covenant is because God was present when you marry. The next thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the importance of marriage. The importance of marriage. Marriage is the cornerstone of the society. Marriage is the cornerstone of the society. As you read in statistics today, one of the major reasons for the dysfunction that we see in the society today mm -hmm. is the absence of fathers in homes, especially among African Americans. The number one reason for people involving in gangs, teenage pregnancy, teenage, teenagers going to jail, involving in crime, abortion, murder. It has been said that one of the major reasons is the absence of fathers in the home. When the marriage is dissolved, the society is dissolved. When there is dysfunction in the marriage, there will be dysfunction in the family. And that dysfunction in the family translates into the society. This is what we say. Marriage is the cornerstone of the society. Number two, marriage is a secret covenant between the couple and God. A secret covenant. Like I said in Malachi 2.15, marriage is so important that God comes to be a witness. There is no other institution in which God himself comes to be a witness. For the most part, when we read the scriptures, God will send an angel. But in marriage, he comes himself to be a witness. That is why he says, whatever therefore God has put together. So God himself is the one who puts the marriage together. Let not man put asunder. Number three, marriage brings benefits to the couple. Marriage brings benefits to the couple. Before we talk about spiritual benefits. You know that in this country there are certain benefits like for example when you file your taxes, uh, married, join, marry. There are advantages you get. 
for being married. And then spiritually says, one will chase 8,000 and two will chase 10,000. He says two are better than one. So there is a blessing of being married because it brings benefits to the couple. Marriage, number four, is the best institution to raise children. Marriage is the best institution to raise children. In the scripture, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, kids that were raised outside of marriage were called bastards and they were not allowed to enter the congregation until the 10th generation. Meaning if you had a child at a wedding, out of wedlock, who was not married, you were not married and you had a child, it was after the 10th generation after that child that the descendants of that bastard, as the Bible will call it, allowed to enter into the temple. Thank God for Jesus. Because some of us will never have been pastors. Some, some of us who were born out of marriage will never have been pastors because according to God's the New Old Testament law, it was after 10 generations, meaning that after my children's children's children, I don't know how long it can count, that, that would have been allowed to even come into the temple. So, marriage is a safe environment to raise children. God designed for children to raise to, to, for children to be raised by two parents. That is why no matter how strong you are as a woman, you can never be a father to your children. And no matter how strong you are as a man, you can never be a mother to your children. A child that is raised by a single parent is always missing something. It's always missing something. And so if you are a single parent, depriving your children from their father's attention is not doing them a favor. You are creating dysfunction that will affect not only you tomorrow, but the society. Because God intended for children mm -hmm. to be raised by two parents. Two parents. Not two parents of same sex. Father and mother. Because today we see two people of same sex going to adopt children. And they say they are raising a children. And you see a child growing up in confusion. He or she doesn't know if I should call this one dad or mom. Because he or she is being raised by either two men or two women. God designed for children to be raised in a marriage. That is between a man and a woman. It creates balance. It creates emotional balance. Intellectual balance. Mental balance. As a child is growing up. But when a child is raised outside of that institution. It creates dysfunction. Which ends up being. And creating an impact. Negative impact to the society. Number five. Marriage creates a safe relationship. Where you can reach the deepest levels of intimacy and connection. The only legal institution where God has allowed for man to express his sexual desire or woman to express their sexual desire is in marriage. Outside of that, sexual intimacy is prohibited. If it's, if it's done by a, man who is, a person who is not married, it's fornication. If it's done by a person who is married, it's adultery. It's only within the marriage context that God has allowed for man or woman to express their highest or deepest level of sexual connection. So marriage is important because it gives us the opportunity to express our sexual desire with our partners. We get to have that sexual fulfillment in marriage. Number six, marriage creates a powerful synergy. 
The Oxford Dictionary defines synergy as the cooperation of two or more elements to produce or a, produce a combined effort greater than the sum of their separate efforts. So meaning that what you could have accomplished on your own and what I could have accomplished on my own separately, if they brought all that together, is not compared to if we come together under a marital bond. The Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So not only our efforts combine, but there is a blessing that comes upon our efforts that multiplies our efforts. So marriage, it creates a powerful synergy where we come together and together we can achieve more than if we're separately working. Number seven, marriage helps us become more like Christ. Marriage helps us become more like Christ. So, like, I used, like we've said before, the goal of marriage is not for you to be happy. The goal of marriage is to make you more like Jesus Christ. Marriage is going to reveal your dysfunction. It's going to reveal your, your weakness. It's going to reveal the hidden, the carnal nature that is in you. And the goal is for God to bring it out so that you can become more like Jesus Christ. Number eight, marriage gives us the help that we need. When God created man, he created the woman and said, the woman was the helpmeet. This doesn't mean that the woman helps the man alone, but they help each other in accomplishing God's purpose for their lives. So marriage gives you the help that you need. Can you imagine if you, as a man, were to raise your kids all alone, or you, as a woman, were to raise your kids all alone without any help. But in the marriage bond, in the marriage relationship, we get the help. This is why couples must be committed to helping each other. If your wife is slow at something, help. If your husband is lacking something, you help. Marriage creates that environment to help one another. And number nine, and the last is, marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and the church, which we've said before. That is how important marriage is. It reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. So ask yourself, the way you conduct yourself in your marriage, the way you behave yourself in your marriage, is that how Christ will conduct himself towards the church? Can your marriage be a reference of Christ's relationship to the church? Because if you think about Christ's attitude towards the church and compare your attitude towards your spouse, that should give you an understanding of what needs to be done. And the next thing we want to talk about as we gradually go to the end is the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage. Like I said, People come into marriage with the wrong notion. Some people come in think I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be financially stable because if I get married to somebody that is wealthy or a woman that is wealthy, then, you know, I, it's almost like you, you upgrade because now you, 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 get into, you come into more money mm-hmm. and you can come out of difficulties. So people come into marriage with different reasons. But God, biblically speaking, created marriage for threefold purposes. Number one, 
was to mirror God's image. After God created the earth and the animals, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over the cattle of the over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now when you read the scriptures, the Bible says, and God said, let us make man. They say, let them. So when God uh, initially was creating man, he created, he had the thought of man and woman. He said, God let them let them now it's no longer let man let them so god had a woman in mind when he created man that is why when god was about creating the woman he did not create a woman from scratch he took out the rib from man to create woman because the woman the woman was already existing in the man so the first purpose of marriage is to mirror God's image. Is to mirror God's image. God is a family. He lives in a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is why we have the husband, the wife, and children. That same image is to reflect God's nature. Number two, the second purpose of marriage is companionship. When God was creating Adam, he said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper, companionship. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. I will create him a suitable helper. So marriage was a companionship. And number three, marriage was to multiply a godly legacy, a line of godly descendants. Your children will carry a reflection of God's character to the next generation. So God said to them, multiply, fill the earth. So God's purpose for bringing man and woman together was to multiply a godly heritage to establish descendants that will fear the Lord and walk according to God's purpose. Those were the three, four purposes of marriage. Now as we go to an end real quick, before we go into uh, questions and answers for today, there are conditions that we need to understand for goes maybe mm-hmm. a few of them today for, for somebody to get married. The first condition, as we said, marriage has to be between a man and a woman. That is why if you come to the church and you say you want to be married and your marriage doesn't fall within the boundaries of God's word, we are not part of that marriage. You say I want to marry another man. We want to marry another woman. We cannot be part of that marital celebration because it doesn't fall in line with the scriptures. Sometimes also it can fall within the scriptures which says it's between a man and woman. But there are other conditions that, you know, surround the relationship. That as a church, we cannot be part of that relationship. For example, 
there was a case where I was involved in where a man was in a relationship with a woman. And that woman was married before because of documents. She was actually trying to travel abroad. And because of that, she got herself into a marital contract with another man. While she was thinking that this was just a marital contract, the man in question was planning to have her as his wife. So when she eventually met her husband, because he had planned to travel abroad, didn't work, this man kept showing up. And he had legal papers to prove that he was married to this woman. Now, as a church, we cannot go ahead to proceed to bless that relationship until those papers are regulated because if we go ahead as a church to be involved in a marital celebration of this couple and this man goes to court, the church can be in big trouble. So there are many conditions that have to fall in place for a marriage to happen. That is why sometimes they will ask during uh, marital celebrations, is there anyone in this place who has any lawful impediment? Why these two should not be joined together in matrimony? If so, speak or forever hold your peace. This is when people can come forward and express their concerns. And sometimes if the concerns they express are legitimate, that marriage can be suspended. Because like we said, marriage is not just a casual union where two people just enter into. It has to be between the couple and God. And if the foundation, the principle surrounding that marriage is not in alignment with the scriptures, then that marriage cannot be celebrated. So the first thing we see is that the marriage has to be between a man and a woman. Secondly, marriage has to be between two people of same faith. I want to talk about same faith. I'm, same faith. I'm not talking about same faith as you are, you are Catholic, I'm also Catholic. Or you are Baptist, I'm also Baptist. Same people who are born again. Who are born again. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So if you are born again, you should not marry a man or a woman who is not born again. Or if your daughter, your son, brings somebody to your home and says, I want to marry, the first thing you should investigate about the person is not their family, is to check their relationship with God. Are they born again? Are they a Christian? Because there are people who say, well, he's not a Christian, but yeah, he, he's very nice. I know he will change. He's even better than most of those brothers in church. Or she doesn't go to church. She's a Muslim, but oh, she's very sweet. No. We don't make uh, compromises to marry. Marriage has to be according to God's word. He said we should not be equally yoked or equally yoked with unbelievers. Now, to understand the concept of being equally yoked, in the Bible, when it comes to uh, agriculture, you cannot have a donkey yoked with an ox to till the soil. It has to be a donkey and a donkey or a cow and a cow. It cannot be two different animals. Because if so, there will be imbalance and the soil will not be tilled well. So if you are going to get married, it has to be somebody who believes what you believe, who accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior. Not just somebody who says they go to church because there are a lot of people who go to church, but they are not Christians. So if you are truly born again, you should investigate and find out, is this man born again? Is he a Christian? 
does he believe what he professes to believe? Because there are people who go to church, but they don't believe what they believe. I was, I was listening to Pastor Robert Morris, the pastor of Gateway Church in, uh, in Atlanta. And he was saying how somebody made a joke because he likes to teach about giving. And the person said to him that, I'm very sure that when you meet your daughter's husband, you're probably going to find out about if he's a giver. And he said, yes, I'm definitely going to find out because if a man does not give to God, I'm not sure he's going to give anything to my daughter. Because for him, relationship with God is far more important than the background where the man comes from, than his education that the money has in his pocket. His relationship with God. So we have to make sure that people are equally yoked before they are considered to be in a marriage. We're going to come here, bring this Bible study today to a close, and I'll give you the opportunity to ask uh, questions. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. We magnify your name. We glorify your name. Take glory this evening, Father. We ask that all the knowledge you're receiving, you will help us to put into practice. Take all the glory. In Jesus' name.